0: I'd like to begin with, this is not the beginning of the message, this is just a reminder. I know there's a slide that goes up on this, but I'd like to just have you explore this yourself. And you might take a note, if you take notes on these particular three scriptures, because in a sense, they sum up your purpose for being. And and they give us a, a, a an understanding. If someone said, why did Jesus come? I think the the, the answer would be John 3.16, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Well, that's true. Jesus came to save us. And he did so by atoning for us on the cross. But that message has to go forth. And when he came to save us, he also had another plan. And that plan is you. And we are at a very, very special time in history right now. I want to tell you, this is a serious time for our country. It's a serious time for this world. And we need to be on the watch because, as one brother said the other day, listening to, uh, how many of you know for this guy, uh, what's, what's the first name? Uh, uh, hit? Jack. Jack Hibbs, anybody know who he is? Okay. So I, I listened to him. He used a term the other day, which was uh, interesting because uh, on the, uh, the day of uh, my daughter's uh, celebration of her life or the celebration of the day that we celebrated her life, uh, some of the, by the way, I have a, a lot of good relationships with the Foursquare guys. They're, they're uh, some of my closest friends, as a matter of fact and uh, Pastor Joe Mabe was out here from Keene and Pastor Mark. And the one thing that Joe shared with me out there, there was a lot was going on in our conversation, but he said, the church is anemic in America. And it is. And just the other day as I was listening to Jack Hibbs, he made a comment, because he's kind of preaching the same thing. He's the one that took over Calvary Chapel. That, that movie, if you saw the movie, uh, Jesus Movement, uh, the Jesus Revolution. Well, that's, that, that, that's the church. And he said, the problem is we have recreational Christianity. I want you to think about that. Recreational Christianity. And uh, I, I, I said to myself, wow, that is an excellent term to define what we see going on in the American church right now. So here's three scriptures that we have. The first one is Romans 8, 29, and 30. The second is Galatians 4, 19. And the third is. Colossians 1.28. You see, when Jesus came to save us, he did on the cross. His blood covers our sins. We have forgiveness, not only for the sins that are past, the sins present and the sins to come. He covered it all on that hill. When he said it was finished, it was finished. The redemption of man had been paid for. But... We have to receive that redemption. So now what was the plan? Well, that's the plan was you, as I said. So listen to this. For those whom he foreknew, and that's you, in other words, before the foundation of the world, Jesus knew you. He also predestined, in other words, he had a purpose for you ahead of time, for your life, for your reason of life, for your reason of being. And that was to become conformed to the image of his son. So what is he saying here? So that he would be the firstborn amongst many brethren. In other words, friends, take this home, meditate on it, think on it. What, what the, what's being said here is very simple. What's being said is that God wants to duplicate you through Christ. And that lines up with the book of Ephesians and Colossians. In other words, Christ in you, growing in you, working and ministering through you. As Derry was mentioning, the difference of doing things for God and the difference of letting God do things through you is pretty interesting. But that's it. You're here. You, you, You are his plan. So, wouldn't you have another plan, God? No, you, you're the plan. Well, you know what? Why don't you look at one another for a moment and just say, hey, you're the plan. You're God's plan. You are. You're predestined. You're his plan. Okay. Now, how does that plan come about? Well, it says here, my children, Galatians four nineteen with whom I am again again in labor until Christ is formed in you. Let me ask you a question. How many of you ladies here have had children? Have you been in labor? When does the labor stop? When you deliver. Isn't that right? Well, that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, you know what? I'm going to stay with this until it happens, until it's delivered. We're going to stay with this until it takes place. It's delivered. And what is it that he wants to have delivered? That Christ is formed in you. In other words, we are grown. The old guy keeps getting pushed out, the old gal out, and the new one in. And then finally, he says, at the end, we proclaim him, that is Christ, Admonishing every man and teaching every man, meaning mankind, men and women, with all wisdom, so that we might present every man, every person, complete in Christ. Now you follow it? Paul's going to do this. He's not going to cease to labor until Christ is formed in you. And then finally, the end result is to present us complete. Church has lost this. So, today I want to talk about some of the very simple things about the church. We're going to go into our message now. And I'd like to just encourage you to look at those verses, think on those verses, meditate on them, talk to God about them, and come to an understanding. Let God begin to put in your heart the importance that you have and the calling that God has given you. It's important. You're important. And it's not just that you do it in a building, but it's important that Christ be able to work with you wherever you go and through you. And how does that happen, though? Well, we're going to talk about that in the very, very near future. Not today, but we'll talk about it. And we we do have a, a process that actually we know works towards this end to every soul that's open to say to Jesus, here I am, Lord. Use me. Lord, I want to be your man. Your woman. And if that heart is right and there's a humility there and an appreciation, God can use you and God will work in you. But that's going to be up to you, how far you, you move along with, with the Lord. So now, Let's talk about the introduction here to our mess. offenses. We're going to be talking about offenses today. I've been kind of working with this for the last two and a half weeks, and that was uh, with the uh, book of uh, Philemon. And he talks about Philemon. We'll get to the, the a little bit more in depth in that in just a moment. But offenses, they're going to come. An offense is... Uh, uh, a thing that comes against us where we get hurt, we're sinned against. But the truth is that we have to forgive. That We don't have a choice as Christians but to forgive. You must forgive. And it's not such an easy thing to do at times, is it? I mean, sometimes there's real hurts and, and the tough ones are are when somebody you love is hurt. And then you Look at that. And then you take offense at that person. That did it. But they can't do anything. To make that right with you. And so. We have these offenses. That we hold on to. And we we, we think. We have a right to them. A right not to forgive. Because we're just. We're, we're the righteous ones. We're, we're the guys that got hurt. But. The more Christ, I should say, a hallmark of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the more Christ is formed in us, the less we offend and the easier it is to forgive. I want you to think about that. The more we begin to think like Jesus, the more we see through the eyes of Jesus, the more we see our own weaknesses, and and it's easier then to forgive people who, uh, who offend you. And we will be offended. I want to talk about that a little bit too. So let's go to Luke for a moment. Luke 17. And he said to his disciples, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. But woe to him through whom they come. Now, a stumbling block is a, a sin of some sort that is done. Or a, a temptation that is, comes your way. And people can stumble, and he has a lot to say about that, but you'll notice that the stumbling block turns out to be a sin. He says, that Inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea and he would cause them, he, then he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard, Jesus tells us. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And That doesn't mean scream at him or yell at him. It means, listen, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing, brother? What are you doing, sister? What are you, where are you thinking? What's going on here? Let's come back to what God has for your life instead of what you're, where you're going right now. And it says here, and if he sins against you seven times a day, and returns to you seven times, saying, I repent, forgive him. Now, that's a this is We're talking about the same person. They mess up with you. They call you a jerk. They say, I'm sorry, I never should have said that. Three minutes later, they call you a jerk. And they say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. Or whatever it is that they might be doing. And the fact is, now, he said seven times, well, the whole point was this. It's going to be a lot more than that. The point is you need to forgive them. And meanwhile, you really are getting to the point where maybe you wouldn't want to forgive them exactly. You'd like to do something else that would be out of character for a Christian. So, as we look at the scripture here, we find this. And if he sins against you seven times and returns seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith." And the Lord said, it's increase. you know, that's another way of them saying to the Lord, can you make it happen for us, Jesus? In other words, why don't you solve this problem for us? You know, Give, give us what, 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 is, what is needed there because we, we don't have it. We, we don't have it within ourselves. So please, just increase our faith. And he said to them, the Lord said to them, In other words, Jesus doesn't let them off the hook. He doesn't let any of us off the hook, as a matter of fact. It's kind of interesting. So what does he say? If you had the faith of a mustard seed, you'd say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Which of you, he says, having a slave plowing or tending sheep would say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you may eat and drink. Think of it this way. Supposing there was a waiter in the, uh, or waitress in the your favorite restaurant and their boss came in and they were tired and it was ready time for them to go on a break, get a break. And the boss comes in and says, he's pretty tired, he says, look, uh, I see you're going on break right now. You got rid of your apron. Why don't you go get that back on, take my order, and after you clean up my table, then you can take your break. You follow me? What are they going to do? They're going to do what the boss says. Is the boss right or wrong? He's the boss. It doesn't matter what they think. It's what he says, and and that's as simple as it is. So, when, when we look at that, I'm trying to find my place here, where I leave off here, okay. Prepare something to eat. So he does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? Thank you. You know, I got to put a little note here, thank you. He doesn't thank the slaves because he did the things which were combined. We have this thank you thing going on in in our relationship with my wife it, it's it's kind of a it 's a crazy thing. sometimes I think it 's overdone. Thank you for the wonderful meal that you made honey. Where are you? Thank you. She says, thank you for cleaning up the dishes. Thank you for opening the door. Thank you for closing the door. After a while, I would rather say something. <laughs> But it gets a little bit to a point where I I could see what you are saying, Oh, thank you for sneezing into that tissue. And maybe that kind of a thank you might encourage that behavior in the future. If a person has some bad habits and sneezes without a tissue, if you follow me. So the thing is, on the thank you, what he's saying is don't expect it. Don't expect the thank you. Why not? You too, he says. When you do all of these things, forgive seven times seven, 70 times seven, do all those things which are commanded to you, you say, we say, we are unworthy slaves. We've done only that which we ought to have done. Now, that's it. In other words, we, we all want to get thanks and patted on the back, and it's, it, it's okay, but Jesus is saying, don't pat yourself on the back when you do what you're supposed to do. Just realize that you're doing what is necessary, what's required of you. And I, I kind of look at that and I, I like it. Now, I want to talk for a moment in there. If we talk about sin just a moment. What is sin? Well, if I, I, I went to the original language on this uh, yesterday and I found that Uh, there's a couple of ways you can look at it. One is it comes from an archery term, and it means to miss the mark, to miss the bullseye. So you sin when you miss the bullseye. The second thing is it means to break the divine law. And that really interested me when I looked at that and saw that it is to break the divine law. Now, why? What is the divine law? You all know what the divine law is, don't you? Does anybody know what the divine law is? (laughs) Is there one among you who knows what the divine law is? Okay. Good. That's good. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Or as Jesus put it, this thing I require of you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this, men will know that you are my disciples. And then when you go back and you look at Jesus, you find out that he was sacrificed, gave his life. He gave up heaven to come down here. But my point is, his life is the example that we see, and his example of love is him going to the cross and letting us come into relationship with our Heavenly Father. So, okay. Okay. So it's inevitable, as we said in the beginning, that believers are going to miss the mark and in so doing, cause offense and hurt others. How many have been hurt by a fellow believer? Come on, folks, be honest. Is only the pastor... I was talking to to, uh, Pastor Mike the other day and and, uh, uh, we we had a chat together and he said, you know, he said, the most hated person in the church is the senior pastor. And the most loved person in the church is the assistant pastor. That's because the senior pastor has to take the blame for everything. <laughs> and the assistant pastor oh, says, I'm sorry about that. We'll, we'll, we'll fix it for you, you know. We'll we'll, we'll see what we can do. So. <clears throat> What we find here is that holding on to an offense or a grudge is is poison to our soul. And any of you who have worked, especially in the area of people that have had, uh, well, problems with uh, a poor self-image, or we'll call it rejection, have a major problem with rejection, a major problem with rebellion, and a whole bunch of other demonic things that go along with it in their personality, you find that... uh, they have been wounded someplace. It's a parent, it's an it's a event they had in a relationship. There's something usually there. In fact, I've seen even children born with rejection simply because a parent wanted a girl and got a boy, or vice versa. So it's kind of an interesting thing. But when these are in, it weakens you inside. You, you, you begin to, what shall I say, don't think of yourself as you should. Because as a Christian, you should think of yourself in Christ Jesus and who Christ says you are. Not what the world said you are. Not what somebody called you, some name at some, some place. You're, um, it's amazing how many people, uh, my, uh, well, uh, I talked to a woman. She said that she was a, a very intelligent and extremely incredible lady. And, but she didn't want to speak publicly. And I said to her, well, you know, you've got this opportunity. Why don't you take it to speak? And she said, because when I was in high school, uh, one of the teachers in my English class said that I had a monotone voice. And that's it. We're talking 20 years later. Something said in the high school class, can you imagine that, impacted the person like that? But it happens, doesn't it? And especially when you're in certain ministries, you find that out, that, that people are hurting. And then what people do that they're hurting, they can get funny. I got funny. I, I, uh, I had a quick wit. Uh, it was deadly. I could, I could take and turn a situation around and make a joke that would kill you, but other people would laugh. And one day there was this Jewish believer, who said to me, because I had, I really, she, she was like a star in our church, you know, and I think without realizing, I, I resented that, I resented the fact that she had, I don't know, all of these different things, but I didn't know I resented it, but I found it easy to poke fun at her, to poke fun at her, and one day she said to me, why do you, why do you do those things, do you know that they cut and they hurt me? And I apologized to her. And I realized that the problem wasn't her, and I wasn't being funny, but it was something inside of me that had to come out of me, something that had to change in my life. And I set about doing the best I could to get rid of that. And quite frankly, it was demonic in its nature. It's amazing the things that are how we hurt one another and offend one another. and then said, well, I didn't mean to do it. Well, you might not mean to do it, but let me tell you something. There's a devil that means to do it. He means somehow to disrupt the church, to make it go this way or that way, or bring it down or confuse people. And he uses his, God's people to do that. So you can't hold on to this, a grudge or an offense. And so, as we said before, I'll say it again. Forgiveness is not an option for a Christian. There's no excuse that you can have for holding on to a hurt or a grudge. what, What you're doing there is, it's not that you're not forgiving, but it's unforgiveness. Somebody said it this way. It's like drinking snake venom and hoping the other person's gonna die. It doesn't work. All of this is more pain for everybody, but especially for you, because now you are captured by that event or whatever happened to you that caused you to have the feeling that you have. It's, you have a stronghold that, has you, that you have now. And that stronghold is the th- inability to forgive and now what happens your whole life has changed for the negative because you can't let go of something i've actually had a person say to me i I said you need to forgive this situation she said but you don't know i said you need to forgive it she said no if i forgive this person he's going to get off the hook i said it doesn't work that way it doesn't work that way you need to forgive because you need to be off the hook. It's, it's a, such an important thing to, to recognize how we kind of destroy ourselves with our, uh, our anger and our, our uh, again, inability to forgive. So, as we go on here, forgiveness is not an option. After hearing Jesus say, saying you have to forgive the same repentant person seven times, 70 times. The apostles, as we pointed out, asked them first to increase their faith. And what he said was, which is kind of interesting, he said, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, and remember I said he didn't let them off the hook, he doesn't let you or right I off the hook, you all have a measure of faith. He didn't say, I'm going to give you more, what he's saying is, if you had, but we all know that we do have. We all have been given the measure of faith. So it is no excuse for us to say, well, God didn't give me enough faith, or this didn't have it. You have what you need to move on in your walk, in your relationships, and in your walk with the Lord. So a person who has been offended, let's just put ourselves on the side where we've had an offense that happened to us. And what we have to realize is that person, whether you offended them unintentionally or not, they have suffered undeserved harm. They have been wronged. In other words, something everybody has been wrong. When's the first time you've been wronged? Can you remember? I bet you can't remember. But when I say it, you'll know it's true. It's when you were a toddler and somebody took that toy from you, another toddler that said, and you thought that to- to- toy was mine, and they took it. And now you're sitting there without this toy, or your mother said, share this. And you and you went to share, said, But that's my toy. But now, you were wronged. My mother gave away what was mine or whatever it is. It's just, it starts way back in our life. Just little things that come along. But sometimes, they get, they, of course, they can get bigger as we get older. And what's the harm that we have? Or how have we been wrong? Well, it can be physical, emotional, financial. Uh, every believer, like Peter, will suffer hurts from his brothers, and we have to forgive them. The question of how many times, again, we have talked about it, it doesn't matter. I want to say this about causing offenses, because woe to those who cause them. You and I are destined, predestined, to be builders in the body of Christ. A parent is there to raise a child, to build confidence in that child. Not only confidence in the child, but to direct them in their life, to pray for them, to see that they're gonna have or do what they need to do to to find the bent of that child and work with them to give them a place where they have good success. That's what we're to do as parents. We didn't get children so that they can run wild. Children need parents. You know, if if they were demons, you couldn't do anything with them. And if they were angels, you wouldn't have to do anything with them. But you have parents. And I want to say this. These children belong to God. You belong to God. This is something God has entrusted you with. Just as the Lord himself, Father God, trusted Joseph to be the father of Jesus. To raise him up. Raise him up in an environment of faith, of love, and, and the learning of the word of God. So you have to realize that we have the same obligation. And some of us may have failed in that. You may be sitting here today and say, what am I going to do now? Well, you got grandchildren, you gotta make amends somehow, where where you can, where you can, with uh, parents or with uh, your children, and move on, and become the person that God called you to be, and be that builder in the body of Christ. When you look at Ephesians uh, five and you start looking about the marriage text there, remember that the text is it's a, it's it's a analogy. It's when you, when you examine it, you find out the husband and wife and he's comparing it to what? Christ and the church. Well, guess what? You're the church. And so, if it applies to Christ and the church, it applies to every one of us in our life. That we are to be builders, washing people, moving out the wrinkles, doing the things that we can do to, to help them grow in, in the Lord. So, Let's move on here. Tongue in cheek. Okay. If you're a person that believes God gave you a ministry of offending others, you know, I've run into people like that. They, they, they have to the straighten out the brethren ministry. How many of you have ever met that person? I want to say to that person, if you're in this church right now, may I recommend two other great churches not far from here <laughs> be a good place to go because that's not a ministry. That You're not a tool of God, you're a tool of the, of the devil himself. And I would like to recommend... You know, it's funny, I was thinking about this the other day. Well, I, last night, actually, and I'm just thinking about this about sending people to other churches, you know? And said, tell said, tell, tell them to go someplace else. And then I thought, hey, you know what happened? I remember a, a couple of churches, a couple of pastors in our community, was saying, in a broader community, I want to make it wide. We're going to, we're going to go all the way up to Concord and, 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 and back down, okay? That <clears throat> Concord, yeah, Concord's, I think Concord's far enough, who, When they had problematic people and they couldn't handle them, you know what they did with them? They recommended that they go to ACC, Amherst Christian Church. I'm serious. They actually sent them over to our church with all kinds of problems. And it happened more than one time. What are we going to do with them? I know. Send them over to Ron. He'll know what to do with them. No, I don't know what to do with them. They they have some issues here that and and they hurt us at times. Literally drove people out of our church. I'm I'm serious, you know, because they were disruptive in the other church. So now you either you know what? Tell them to stay home and don't send them into somebody else's ministry so they can they can do damage. That that doesn't make any sense to me. As a matter of fact, a a couple of things. In fact, I I sometimes I think about churches and pastors and how we uh, inadvertently because of I really believe that there is an insecurity in many pastors. I really have come to believe that over the years. Why do I know that? My own experience. I had some in the beginning and then I come back and I look at it now and just the things that have happened. Can you imagine uh, you're praying with a guy for 15 years, 20 years. And the next thing you know, your daughter is working in the nursing home. She comes in and says, Dad, Dad, this other lady that goes to this other church said that their pastor said yesterday that people in our church are barking like dogs and biting one another. I said, what? Yes, they're... They said, it's terrible. You'd think they would give you a call. Hey, Pastor Ron, are your people biting one another and barking like dogs? would ask? Now, let me tell you what the story is. This is the true story. And I'll tell you what, I think if they knew it, they wouldn't tell it. hate to say this. What was the true story? A young girl came here, a fellow named George Stormont, was ministering that particular week. And this young lady came into the meetings, and uh, she was... uh, Let me get it right. Six. 24 years old. She had suffered from depression since she was six years old. Since she was six years old, she had never laughed. She just was like blank. Nobody could do anything with her. And she was in our morning meeting and the spirit of God fell on her in that meeting and she was completely set free. So, Can you imagine that? What she did was she came back that night. And I was back in my office with Brother Stormont. And I hear, "Ah! Ah!" I said, What the heck is that? So I jump up and I got out. You know what it was? It was her making her first attempt to laugh. And after a while, "Ah! Ah!" turned into, (laughs) you know, well, what can I tell you? If you haven't laughed in 18 years, yeah, so why not tell them what really happened? No? Hey, they're barking like dogs. She wasn't barking like a dog, and she's still following the Lord today. I praise God for that. So, again, um, repentance and forgiveness. We want to talk about the way to resolve offenses and wrongs. Where are we right now? 35 minutes? That's okay. You guys want to hang around for a while today? If it's okay, I'll, I'll, I'll move on. I've got, a lot, I got a, lot, a lot to give you here. I, I, I just ought to tell you I'm on page 3. And I, the last page is 8. And it's at least page 7. It's all stuff that's really good because... I'm just about to make the change right now to move into the book of Philemon. So is this a sermon? Wasn't intended that way. I'll put it to you that way. I, I had no intention of making it a two-part sermon, but uh, uh, we could. But let me uh, uh, give you a slight background on the, uh, the book of Philemon. Philemon was a very interesting guy in that he lived in Colossia, and we'll find out when we go through the book, in fact, you could even read it this week, and then we'll come, but there's a lot of wonderful takeaways, and it's all about a man, Philemon was, uh, seems to be a wealthy man, a man of some means, and he was wronged by his servant Onissus. And he stole from him and he ran away from him. And that was a, a lot of loss. And from what we can gather, um, Philemon was a, a solid man of God. Most likely uh, he was converted by the apostle Paul and met him, uh, Colossians close to uh, uh, yeah, it was Ephesus. When Paul was teaching in Ephesus, he probably met him there. And then somehow discipled him. So uh, now we have this guy who has had a wrong done. And this wrong now, an opportunity comes to right it. How are we going to right the wrong? And that's what the book is about. It's an incredible story of how Paul... And, and, I, and I want to say this to you. You'll, you'll see this as we get into and I, I think we will get into it next week. I really just feel like going on, but uh, I'll, I'll stop today. But when, when you get into it and you look in it, and you see uh, the Apostle Paul. You read the book this week. It's only a page and a half. There's not much to the book. It's very simple. It's very small. But it's packed with so many wonderful things on Reconciliation. It really is. And when we talk about the forgiveness and the hurts that we have in life, one of the things we need to do is figure out how do we fix it? H- how does it get fixed? How do, we, how do we come from a place of where we're upset, where we have, we're angry, to the place where we have a, a brother in the house, somebody we love and trust, now the person that did this winds up being a person that now is of great value to us. And that's the overall of the book. I'll, I'll give more detail on it next week, but I do want to stop here because I, I want to give it ample attention. And, and I want to really stay with it. Of the forgiveness part of it right now, I think we have that down in and, and, and saying this. You have no choice but to forgive. You can't hold a grudge. You can't hang on to things. You've got to let them go. And you've got to let them go. You can let them go in a couple of ways. This is going to be very interesting. you know there's a couple of ways to let things go? You can let them go because you have to. Did Jesus say you have to? Yes or no? Yeah, he did. He did. But how about... When you come to a place where you want to. And and that's that's where that's going to take us next week, amongst other things.